Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, it's so good to be with you all today. To uh, to be able to I haven't been over to Somerville in a while. Like uh, just hasn't worked for our schedules. Uh, we've been able to have Fletcher back, but uh, um, I'm just glad to be here and to be able to fill in for him while he's on sabbatical. Uh, I, I got to take one back in 2016. I had been in ministry for 20 years before I got my first sabbatical and. Uh, I can tell you it's very life-giving, and so I encourage you to pray for Fletcher while he's gone. Pray for Megan, the kids. Just pray for for rest. I believe you're going to get Fletcher 2.0 when he comes back, um, and you're going to see somebody who's just really drawn near the Lord. So just uh, so do do pray for him. But I want to give you greetings on behalf of Brookline. Uh, we we love Somerville. We pray for you guys, and um, you know we don't. I think we're. Well, I guess four sills, but four sills is more of a direct shot here from here. But uh, Brookline's the furthest kind of congregation uh, from Somerville and vice versa. So uh, we don't get to see each other as much. But uh, I'm glad to be here, glad to meet uh, your new children's uh, director. And, um, and for those that aren't able to come today, uh, I just want to continue. I do this with Brookline encouraging you as God gives you strength and faith uh, to, to not let fear shape you right now, but begin to... To, 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 to move out and begin to gather again. I had no idea how much I needed to gather with God's people. I mean, I kind of knew it here, but when we gathered together uh, in worship, uh, we, we haven't been able to gather like you guys even on Sunday. So we, we were out of our school um, March 8th of whatever last year was our last worship gathering. We had up until, I guess we've had about seven in-person gatherings, maybe eight. Uh, and five of four of those have been in the last month. So it's been tough, and we're excited. We're meeting on Sunday nights at 5 o'clock right now at a church in Newton Center because we can't find anything in Brookline that's available this summer. So um, I had no idea how much I needed that. So I just encourage you, if you're tuning in online or, or listening to this later but uh, aren't coming, uh, just you know, pray, ask God to give you that faith. Uh, it was a big step for me, I know, the first time I came back to a gathering. So... Does anybody here wear contacts? Okay. Glasses? Okay. Yes, I see you. That's kind of obvious, right? But some don't have them on right now. Um, I wear contacts and glasses for fun. So I wear, uh, I've actually figured out now I can get by with one contact because I can see up close well enough. Uh, so I've got like this one, my left eye for distance. Uh, but I remember when I got glasses, I don't know if, if you remember that experience. I was in uh, I was 13, and I figured out I couldn't see the board. Um, I tried to ignore it as much as I could. My parents figured it out, and they were like, we're taking you to the optometrist. And there's never a moment in my, in, in my life, at least, that I was more full of pride 
uh, than, than at, sitting at the, the doctor because, you know, you are, the optometrist I sat down, they have that chart on the wall, right? Uh, and, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get this. I'm going to prove I don't need glasses. So E, you know, and, and they were like, okay, we'll read the next line. I read the next line, the next line. And I think it was somewhere around the fourth or fifth line, things began to get fuzzy. Uh, and at some point, I swear he put hieroglyphics in there because um, I was like just starting to guess things uh, completely. And it became obvious uh, that I needed glasses. But the, one of the things that I've had happen, and you've, you've had this as well, is um, I feel like sometimes they mess with you. You know what I'm talking about? They've got the, they've got the lens, uh, lenses and they're like in the big machines on your face. And, you, you know, and they're like, uh, is this better or this better? Is A better or B better? B better or A better? Is one better than two or two better than one? And they go back and forth. And, you, and I don't know if you experienced this, but you're like, I think you're messing with me and you're just flipping the lens over because there's no difference in what I'm seeing right now. I don't know if you're like sitting over there with their phone open, like Instagramming me, you know, getting ready to put me on Instagram going, oh, oh this guy thinks one is better than two, but it's actually the same. Um, but I, I, it's, a, it's a prideful moment. But I ended up with glasses, and I, I remember going outside for the first time after my gla- I got my glasses, and just being able to see like trees were not giant green globs, but they actually have leaves on them. Um, and I could see the leaves blowing in the wind. Uh, and and it, it was that clarity that's like opened up a lot to me. And this is one of the fundamental reasons that we're studying, we're going through a series on the Apostles' Creed right now, is because we need clarity. Uh, the, the Apostles' Creed gives us some clarity as the oldest confession of faith in the church, parts of it dating back to the second century, it, is the, it, is, it gives us clarity to what it means to be a Christian. It also helps provide us with, with a focus on, on, on connection. So we as the people of God are connected to each other through this confession of faith. I don't know if you've thought about this or maybe uh, one of the previous sermons has mentioned this, but today around the globe, uh, churches of every imaginable color and shape and, and language have, have confessed this. Some have confessed it out, meeting outside somewhere. Some have confessed it in giant buildings. Some have confessed it in tiny secret places where, where if they get caught, they'll be arrested. And they've confessed the Apostles' Creed. And so this de- it deeply connects us with all of God's people. Uh, it also forms us as a people. By, by confessing the Apostles' Creed, we are rejecting the narratives of the world around us. We're rejecting the ideology and framework for hope is found in your job. Hope and meaning is found in money. Hope and meaning and purpose is found in your family or, or achievement or whatever. Uh, we're rejecting that and we are affirming that life is found in Christ alone. And then the final reason we study the Apostles' Creed is it gives us the framework the framework for life. You know, as a human being, you cannot help but answer the questions, who are we? Where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? And what's the hope, right? They are, they're hardwired in. Now, people don't often stop and maybe reflect on how they've thought about those, but you can't live life uh, without assigning some meaning to those ideas. And what we're doing as as, as God's people, is we are grabbing hold of this confession of faith that's been around uh, for, for 1,700 years, and we are affirming together the framework we live in. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but the Apostles' Creed is a story. It's written in a narrative form. God the creator, and then Jesus comes 
to judge the living and the dead. We believe in life eternal. There's a narrative that we find ourselves in, um, and it helps us to get rooted in that. Today we're looking at the uh, phrase in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. But I want to read the whole thing for us uh, just quickly to remind us of this truth. And, listen to, and also I want to encourage you to listen to um, the, the narrative arc here. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What a great reminder for us all today. And as we uh, look at this first, this first phrase about Jesus, uh, Jesus as the, uh, in, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We're affirming three titles about Jesus here. We, we, we tend to, to gloss over and maybe even think of it as just two, but we're affirming Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and Lord. Now, and so we're going to talk about each of these. Jesus Christ uh, is... Um, Christ is the most frequently titled uh, title attributed to Jesus. And in fact, um, more than any other uh, title or idea, this idea of Jesus being the Christ is, uh, shows up throughout the New Testament. Uh, despite how we use his name, it was not his last name. It's not Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, son of Mary and Joseph Christ, right? It's Jesus the Christ would be a more accurate way of saying it, not Jesus uh, Christ. It, it became connected that way. If you asked Jesus' full name in the early church, they would have said Jesus bar Joseph or Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, so it's not, a, and it's not a nickname. This isn't like, hey, Jesus the Christ, like uh, James Harden in the NBA's The Beard, right? Nobody, nobody, nobody gave Jesus this nickname. It is, a, it is a title that he not only earned and, and people recognized in him, but he affirmed. He never told anyone to stop calling him the Messiah, stop calling him the Christ. And in fact, saying Jesus Christ is actually a profession of faith. You're saying Jesus Messiah. You are saying Jesus, the anointed one of God. And you need to understand that um, in Jesus' time, as Peter was confessing this in Matthew 16, what was just read, uh, he was confessing this. There were all kinds of expectations about the Messiah from the Old Testament. You have Mo the, the, the Messianic uh, prophecies from Moses, that Moses said there would be a great prophet who would come uh, and, and lead God's people and, and usher in a new covenant. And you have other Messianic prophecies around a suffering servant in the book of Isaiah who would be humiliated and suffer for the sins of, of God's people. You also have the Messianic prophecies of, prophecies of the kingdom that were around King David, that there would be a new and better David that, who would rule over Israel forever. And then there are even prophecies in apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament, uh, such as Daniel, where Daniel saw uh, a heavenly being who came to earth as a, as a man and, uh, and on behalf of what was called, he called the Ancient of Days. The idea that all of those could be fulfilled in one person was, was impossible 
in the eyes of Jewish people. This is why you had all these threads of people kind of looking for one type of Messiah, looking for another type of Messiah, but nobody was like, all of these are going to land in one person. And yet, if you read the Gospel of Matthew in particular, Matthew, Matthew's focus is, is on Jesus being the son of David. And he ties him relentlessly to King David throughout that. Um, and, but, but 99 references, in fact, through the Gospel of Matthew to the Old Testament. Matthew's going, hey, this is the Christ, the Son of God. This is what Peter said, right? And Matthew was a disciple. I think Matthew was there and heard this. And so he's saying, hey, as I'm writing this gospel, I'm going to help show everyone through all these threads, pulling together all these things Jesus said and these experiences that I witnessed, and I'm going to show you that Jesus is that Christ, that Messiah that we all desperately needed. The longings and hopes of God's people were found ultimately in Jesus. And as we would say, Jesus is the Christ today. We are saying no one else is the Christ. And this is important because we live in a culture, we live in a world that's enamored with leaders, right? We're enamored with this idea of, of someone who's going to usher in a utopia. I mean, I, I totally understand it, and in, and in many ways, I, I was excited to see the, the, the first uh, black president of the United States. I mean, it was a landmark moment in the history of our country, no doubt about it. But the language that some of the people used beforehand, you would have thought Obama was Jesus. The language of just ushering in peace and prosperity for all. There was so much hope in him, and he's just, he was just a man. Just like any other leader is just a man. And the problem is, we cannot help but look to people. We cannot help but look to leaders. And I'm afraid that many Christians kind of get enamored or caught up with this leader or that leader who's going to lead us into prosperity and peace and hope when we've already been given the Messiah. We have a Messiah. His name is Jesus. And as Christians, we can, I, I'm, I'm all for supporting leaders in this world, especially who, who follow and obey Christ, who, who uh, exemplify leadership, who are, uh, good leadership, who are going to lead in justice and righteousness. Let's support them, but let's never confuse them with Jesus. Jesus is our Christ. And if it ever looks like Christians are putting their hope in a person, like they are putting them in Jesus, we are we're lying about Jesus to the world. Jesus is the Christ. I think one of the things that helped me to realize how leaders are, uh, will let you down in this world is, I, have you ever heard, don't meet, your leader, don't meet your heroes? Anybody have met your hero, met one of your heroes, and been a little disappointed? Okay, nobody. Well, it's me. me. I, I got to meet one of my heroes uh, years ago. He was a, he was a Christian uh, songwriter and a pastor at a church, and um, I, I got to spend a, a little bit of time with him. And granted, granted, I, I realized it was just a fairly small window into this guy, and he had just done a concert and probably tired. Um, but he was a bit of a jerk and a little condescending when he talked about theology to me. Um, and I just remember thinking, I have wept listening to your songs. I have cried. I have prayed. I have confessed sins to Jesus listening to your songs. And here you are being a jerk. Um, and, and, I, and it reminded me we should never, and, and that's great. What I realized is God was using him in his songwriting, but he's not Jesus. And we should never confuse people for Jesus. 
The real temptation the enemy brings to us is to look at human leaders to protect us from evil, lead us into flourishing uh, in a way that only Jesus can. So we need clarity. We need clarity about who Jesus is uh, so that we are not deceived into following false messiahs. The second idea here is that Jesus is God's son. Now, it's, it's not hard for a lot of people, and maybe, maybe, you have, uh, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you have friends, uh, you know, a friend that's not a Christian that'll say, yeah, I think Jesus was cool. I think Jesus was a good man, good teacher. I, th- I think he said some interesting things. I could see how he was like kind of a Messiah maybe for, for, uh, for Jewish people and for you know, early Christians. Yeah, I get that. But it's, it's, it's when you turn that corner and you say, well, he wasn't just a leader. He wasn't just kind of God's chosen man. He was the son of God. He was God in human form. And this is when it gets really crazy. It gets, gets hard for our brains to get around, but it also gets really hard to believe, right? Why? Well, I don't know about you, but I've never met a human being that's God's son. Hasn't happened. We don't observe that every day, right? So it's hard. I mean, even think about his family and how hard it was for his brothers to believe that he was, he was God's son, that he was the, the Messiah. Uh, they didn't. I mean, how would you feel if your sibling came to you one day and said, just want to give you a heads up, I'm God? You'd, you would laugh. That would be a good laugh, wouldn't it? You'd really laugh. I mean, Jesus was a little boy, and he did little boy things, and little boys are annoying sometimes, right? So you can just imagine his brothers were like, no. No, you played that practical joke on somebody, you know, no, you, you couldn't be God. Um, but but it's hard to, it was hard to believe then, and it's hard to believe now. But Jesus, but Peter said, he combined, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not only are you the long-awaited Messiah, the one we've been looking for, the hopes, uh, all the hopes of Israel found in you, but you are also God's Son in human form living among us, the second member of the Trinity, one in essence with the Father. Now, some other faiths have said, well, he can't be God because he's God's Son, right? Um, but but it, it's a failure to understand Jewish culture at that moment. Jesus... Jesus was not just claiming to, to be somehow some kind of just like an offspring of God uh, who was a temporal being born from God. He was one in essence with God. Jewish people, uh, the Jewish culture and, 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 and framework believed that the life essence of the Father existed in the oldest son. Existed in all of his kids, but in his oldest son the most. And so Jesus, to say... I'm God's son, is to say, I am God with you. I'm God's essence with you. And this is why it was a scandal. It was controversial. Jesus was not merely saying he was a great leader. And this, many would say, uh, if you look at the, the Gospels, this is, this is ultimately what got him killed. It wasn't even the message he was teaching or the healing he was doing or the people that were following him, though that all contributed to it. The religious leaders could not fathom this idea of God in human form, living, breathing, walking among them, uh, talking to people, touching uh, unclean people and, and playing with children and eating food. I mean, it would be hard for any of us to understand, uh, grasp, if we were there. This idea that the God of Israel, this holy, 
Yahweh, who had lived, dwells in unapproachable light, who uh, was so holy that he was in uh, the, this very, very uh, secret section of the temple that no one could go in except the high priest once a year, and now he's walking around. So don't, don't, I don't want to discount how difficult it is to believe this. And yet, you cannot parse Jesus out as a good, good teacher from him being God's son. There are so, it, it is so connected with the essence of his ministry and things that he taught and things that he did that, that the idea of saying, um, he, saying that he was a good teacher is like, it's like taking uh, Charles Manson and saying, you know, I've heard him say some stuff that made a lot of sense to me. Like, he's a psychopathic murderer. Why would you be listening to him? He, he, he has delusions. Jesus had delusions of being God. Why in the world would you go, but he's such a good teacher? Like, <laughs> I mean, we would not do that in real life, would you? You wouldn't listen to someone who came to you and said, hey, I'm God's son, human form, got some things I want to roll out for you, listen up. <laughs> you wouldn't listen. And, and, and yet, Jesus' ministry is so interconnected here with his nature as God's son. So he first, just even in this confession, he doesn't respond to Peter. No, Peter, you moron. I'm just God's uh, voice here speaking for God, but I'm not God, right? What does he, what does he do? He said, blessed are you. Blessed are you. In other words, God has, has, has poured out his blessing on you, Simon Barjona. He, gives, he names his full name. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't see this with your earthly eyes. You see me physically, but you did not see me with this. You did not see me as God's son, the, the Christ, with your earthly eyes. My Father in heaven revealed it to you. So Jesus affirmed his divinity, and he never turned down worship. He offered forgiveness of sins to people. Not, for, not, not sins like... Uh, it, it's a weird situation where Jesus would forgive people of things he, they didn't do to him, right? Or like physically do to him. So, you know, um, let's just use an example. So Michael and Ben are in a fight, like, right? They, they've got something going on, and, and uh, they're, they're, they're in front of me here, and, and Michael says, uh, they're, they're fighting, and Michael says, you know, hey, I, I, wanna, I wanna repent, and I just step in and go, I forgive you, Michael. Like, how weird is that? It's bizarre, but Jesus kept doing that kind of stuff. Why? Because all sin is against God, first and foremost. And so Jesus was being God in human form, saying, you are forgiven. Declaring forgiveness to people for sins that he had not physically witnessed. That's crazy. Like Michael and Ben wouldn't look at me when I say, I forget, you're forgiven, Michael. And Michael would go, thank you so much. Right? <laughs> he would think I was nuts. But Jesus did that. Thirdly, Jesus' message revealed that he was a son of God. He was not just a prophet. He, was, he, wasn't, all, he wasn't just pointing to what God said. He actually said things. In, in matter of fact, in, the, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, he'd often say, you have heard it said, and he would quote Moses, and he would say, but I say to you. 
And he wasn't like flipping it on its head. He wasn't, he wasn't like saying, you heard that, but that's not true. He's saying, I want to clarify that for you. So he was saying, let me quote scripture, and now let me give you scripture. He was clarifying God's word, not as a prophet, but as God. And then the I am statements through the gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. I am the light of the world. I am from above, not of this world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the true vine. Jesus was fully God as the Son of God. When we say this phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are making a crazy statement in that moment. We're making a crazy statement that Jesus was fully God in human form. And, 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 and because of that, because he was God in human form, he was uniquely capable of dealing with our sin, with your sin and my sin, with taking it on the cross. No other religion teaches a God Every other religion teaches some form of this. Make your way to me. Make your way to me as God, or make your way to nirvana, or make your way to peace, or make your way to oneness with the universe, or whatever it might be. Make your way. Do, do your work. Put in the hours. Try hard, and we'll see. Jesus says, nope, I, I, rather than asking you to come up on the mountain, God comes down off the mountain. So you don't have to climb the mountain. Jesus, the Son of God. We need clarity about this. And then finally here, we need to see that Jesus is our Lord. Generally speaking, a Lord is someone with authority, control, or power over others. Uh, to say that someone is a Lord is to consider them a ruler or a master, someone who has complete dominion. In Jesus' day, Lord was often used as a title of respect towards earthly authorities, but after Jesus was, rose from the grave, Christians began to see Jesus not as a Lord, but the Lord. So Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't a Lord. They didn't say Lord out of just respect for him. They began to be a confession of faith. Jesus is Lord, period. No others, no other rivals, no seconds, no thirds. He's not one in a list. He is the Lord, with absolute power, dominion, and authority. We see this in, in uh, Colossians 1. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, I'm just going to be looking over verses 13 through 20, which I think captures what it means that Jesus is Lord, maybe more than or as much as any passage in the Bible. So uh, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So only a king, think about this, we've been the domain or kingdom of darkness, now in the kingdom of light. Only a king who has power can go into another kingdom and, take, and, and rob and pillage him. Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, went into Satan's dominion, punched Satan in the face and took his stuff. You know what his stuff is? It's you and I. It's people. And there was nothing Satan could do about it. It's one of the interesting things about all the power encounters, right, in the, in the Gospels. People, are, uh, people get hung up on like, well, we need to do this and this and this to do demonic warfare against Satan and all that. Do you know how Jesus did demonic warfare? He spoke. And there was no struggle. 
There was no, um, well, oh yeah, you launched a battle. We're going to launch a battle back at you. We're going to fight back. No, Jesus said, and it happened. And as a matter of fact, at the end of the, the Bible, and when Jesus shows up on a, on a white horse with, with King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed down his leg, he's going to show up. And, 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 you know, it's interesting, this whole scene's built up of Armageddon, you know, and the, uh, Satan and his forces and, and all the, the people of the world that belong to him are, are rallying to fight this battle. And Jesus shows up and it ends. It's over. There's no battle. There, there, there's not a, that's not even an accurate term because Jesus has such dominion and power and authority that there is no weapon that can prosper against him. Now, stop and think. This is your Lord and King. And what did he do for you? He went on the cross, absorbed all of God's justice against your sin, not generic sin, not sin in general, but every specific sin you have ever committed. Every moment of pride, every moment of anger, every moment of lust or selfishness, Jesus absorbed all of that because he was God's son. He was capable of it. He absorbed it all so you don't have to. He literally opened, stood, opened his arms, and embraced God's justice against all you have done against God. That's your Lord. That's your king. You've been delivered into his kingdom, and today nothing can snatch you out of that kingdom. Nothing. So what does that say today when we say Jesus is, is our Lord? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. Listen to the power that Jesus has. Verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now just stop and think about that for just a moment. Everything that exists was created by him and for him. You're not the point. <laughs> I'm not the point of life. Jesus is the point of life. Everything that exists, exists for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all, him, in him all things hold together. You think strong atomic force is holding your atoms together right now in your body? It is. But do you know who put that there? Jesus. And he's literally holding you together and the world together right now. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of Christ was pleased, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you see how mind boggling it is to say Jesus is Lord? This should, it rolls off of our tongue so easily. Nashville hot chicken is hot. I was in Nashville this week. I had some hot chicken. There was a group of us that, that went, and uh, it was really hot. Uh, so hot, 
Um, some of them were, uh, a couple of the people, their faces looked like they had been out in the sun all day. They just turned beet red. Um, the rest of us were dumping ranch dressing on this Nashville hot chicken like, like we were trying to put out a fire. We literally were trying to put out a fire. And I ate, the, I ate it, and the next day, uh, some of them had other issues. My issue was my tongue tasted, felt like rubber uh, for, for the next 24 hours. Nashville hot chicken is hot. Jesus is Lord. We ought to say those things differently. It should not roll off our tongues. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is my Lord. My Lord and Savior, Jesus. No. We're making a declaration. Not just a declaration of ourselves. We're making a declaration over all people. Jesus is not just your Lord, like you can just grab him down and make him your personal buddy. He is the Lord before he's your Lord. You know what it is? Before he's your Lord, you recognize he is the Lord. And you go, man, he could be my Lord? Like, I can know him? I can walk with him? I can live for him? Our Lord. Most of us, let's be honest, don't really live like Jesus is Lord. I mean, we're cool with him, right? We like him. You're sitting here right now because you kind of like Jesus. Probably wouldn't be here unless you came with a friend today. If you did, welcome. But most of us like Jesus. But is that the same thing as saying Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord of my family. Jesus is Lord of my money. Jesus is Lord of my relationships. Jesus is Lord of my hopes. Jesus is Lord of my ambitions and my job. Jesus is Lord of me. Every part, every, every ounce, every corner of my life belongs to Jesus. That's what you're saying when you say Jesus is our Lord in the Apostles' Creed. You either, the truth though is, you either live as if someone or something in this world is, is Lord, or you'll live as Jesus is Lord. How many of us have, made, have seen people make their careers Lord? Give me life, give me meaning, give me purpose, give me identity, give me hope. In a career. How insane is that? I've, I've been reading Ecclesiastes, so it like, feels really insane to me. Ecclesiastes is like, vanity, vanity, all's vanity, momentary, everything's vapor, life is short. And I'm just reminded, like, so what if you reach all of your hopes and dreams with your career? What if, what, so what if you reach all of your hopes and dreams financially? What happens if you get all your hopes and your dreams in relationships, but you don't know Jesus as Lord? What if you've made those things Lord in your life? They will let you down. What difference does I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, make in your life? You can, make, you can say it as an interesting fact, like Mount Everest is the tallest mountain. Very interesting. Love watching movies and documentaries about it. Very curious about Mount Everest. Never will climb it. Couldn't pay me to. Couldn't pay me to train and do it. But respect those that try. <laughs> but it's very different. 
It should be fundamentally different in our hearts to say that Jesus is God's son, our, Jesus Christ is God's son, our Lord. And I want to make a couple of applications for us when we close. One is for us personally. I hope, I wanted to paint this big picture of Jesus for you so that each of us would be able to look at our own hearts, would be able to say, what have I been making Lord in my life? What have I been giving too much worship to? What have I been allowing to shape me, form me, mold me, and, and get my affections too much in my life? If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is your Lord. And the beauty of it is today that he, he, if he's revealing that to you, he's not revealing that to you to crush you. He's revealing that to you because it will let you down and fail you and, and hurt you. And Jesus comes as a tender Savior, a tender Father, a ten, or a tender God, a tender Lord. As, as uh, Ben read earlier, Jesus, you know, there's no other religion in the world that the God says, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What you're looking for when you're pursuing your career as Lord is actually rest. You want to be at a place where your hopes and dreams and identities are not hung up on something you have to achieve, but that because of what Christ has achieved for you, now you can work hard in your job and be diligent and achieve at the highest level God's given you gifts to do it, but never trusting in it as Lord. And then an application for us together as a church. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. City on a hill, every city on a hill church exists by Jesus and for Jesus. And listen, we are not, uh, we, Jesus didn't design his church to hang back behind walls. He knows that you are going to be scattered across this city tomorrow, and he wants you to go in his name. Listen, I love this imagery here. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you. What are gates used for? Offense or defense? You ever seen an army storming another, uh, uh, an enemy territory and a dude's carrying a gate? <laughs> You'd be like, something's wrong there. <laughs> He's kind of messed up. No, gates are for defense. Jesus came into the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. He sends us into the darkness in his name and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That's you and me. Now listen, Jesus can do whatever he wanted, but he has ordained it. He will only move through his people. Listen, Jesus could show up tomorrow in the sky, and I'm telling you, he could save every last person in the city of Boston if he wanted to. He could. Our Lord is Lord. He could do that. And, and what's crazy is he's giving dreams in places like Afghanistan and Iran right now, just Christians are getting there and they, they find there's five Christians in this little village and they're like, well, how did this happen? When did the missionary come? Was, no missionaries ever come here. Well, how are you Christian? Well, uh, she had a dream one night. Jesus appeared to her and told her that he had died for her on the cross and rose from the grave for her and that she should repent of her sins and believe in him. And so then she told her and then she told him and, then, and, there, and so we're now we're gathering as a church together. Now Jesus does that sometimes, very rarely, but he does it. 
But you know what? Here in Boston, he wants us to go, you and me, to own that mission, to love our neighbors, serve the hands and feet and voice of Christ to them. It's not, you need to stop looking at our city and thinking people are, people are largely doing okay. And Jesus would just be an add-on for them. No. These are people, people struggling with depression and loneliness. There is, uh, peop, are people who are, are, are on the endless treadmill of their job. And they are burdened. They're carrying a heavy burden. And they don't know there's another way. There are people that are endlessly giving themselves to addictions of pleasure or money, porn, whatever it might be, and they're not free. They need Jesus. Jesus came for us. Will we go for them? As we close, I want you to just bow your heads for a few moments. Take a moment, and maybe you just need to confess to Jesus today that you have lived as other things are Lord and not him. So just take a moment and do that. And then I encourage you just take another moment to pray for those around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, or maybe someone who's just checking out church. Just take a moment and pray for the person next to you. Father, we rejoice that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. I pray that that would be a declaration that brings great joy to us. Even the thought of it now would just bring joy and hope and peace and, and strength to live today. And we pray for those that don't know Jesus as Lord, who don't know the goodness and kindness and mercy and tenderness and love and compassion of our Savior. Help us to go, to share to meet them as you came and met us. In your name we pray.